Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Ravi Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 82 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is one of the most successful players in the history of the World Series of Poker. He's one of a very exclusive group of players to not just win the main event, but to final table it more than once. He's a four-time bracelet winner who sits in seventh place on the WSOP's all-time money list with over $13.6 million in winnings. He also recently became an ambassador for WSOP.com, which just launched their online site in Michigan last month. In this episode, we will get to know him a little better. Joe Kata, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to see you. Good to have a chance to speak to you a little bit more in depth. Uh, our paths crossed briefly uh, while you were making your way to another final table <laughs> of the World Series. So nice to have a good chat with you. Thanks for having me on. Cool. And you're coming to us from Michigan today. Yep. Always in Michigan for the most part. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll jump ahead, but I'm just sort of curious, you know, obviously someone who plays so much poker, loves the game so much. You know, sure, there's plenty of poker to be had in Michigan and, of course, online as well. Were you ever tempted to move out of state to, to Vegas or, you know, Southern California, something like that? Um, I, I mean, it's, I can't say it hasn't crossed my mind, but uh, I've always just had like uh, like a steady, like a steady relationship where, um, you know, my significant other had a good job and um, I've just always been close to my family and friends. And there's always I was always primarily an online player. So. I mean, there's always games here and games online. So I've just always felt comfortable being at home. And when I travel, it's it's nice to travel and get away. But then it's nice to come back home when you know where you're from. Pretty cool. You'd say it uh, perhaps keeps you a little bit more grounded than uh, some of your colleagues and counterparts. Yeah, I mean, I would maybe. I don't know. I mean, who knows? <laughs> it all depends on your personality, I guess. I suppose so. All right. So let's uh, let's go back to the beginning. We'll cast a little bit of a wide net. Those who don't necessarily know your story, obviously it has been told over the past, uh, I guess, 13 years since you won the main event or so. How did you first get introduced to poker and what kind of got you hooked on the game? Uh, I guess I was always into like uh, poker card games and just other games like growing up. And then it really took off when the whole moneymaker boom. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I already knew like Hold'em and played with, you know, a few friends, but then everyone's, it's just, everyone started playing it and, you know, school at the lunch tables after school. And then after just playing with a bunch of friends for a while and always, you know, doing well, I, I started playing online at a, at a really early age. I, yeah. I convinced my mom to, you know, put 50 bucks on for me. <laughs> I had a job at the time and, um, I was always really quiet and I'm just, I, I talked my mom into it. I'm just like, Hey, this is kind of like, uh, just entertainment. Like pretend like I went to the movies or something or went out and, you know, I'm not going overboard with this, but eventually it blossomed into, you know, building a big bankroll. And it was never like my intention to play poker for a living. It kind of just, you know, fell into my lap with my sure. success. You think you had a job was, was $50 a lot for you at the time? What job did you have? No, I was a bus. I was a bus boy. I made actually good money. I started busing uh, when I was fourteen. Started working under the table for the first year. I was a little too young, but <laughs> I worked from like fourteen to seventeen with that job. And I remember I would like at one point when I was like sixteen, I was going through big swings online. I would you know make a hundred bucks or something on the day, or you know eighty bucks, and I would just come home and win or lose you know a couple thousand. It just 
it felt weird <laughs> to keep going to work. So uh, eventually when I had a good six figures and under my belt, I quit my job and just started playing poker full time. For sure. I mean, does it seem real or did it seem sort of like a video game? I mean, I know I had like summer camp jobs also when I was in my teens. And, you know, I remember making, you know, a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks for the summer. That was a ton of money. But I guess when it's online, perhaps it just maybe it just feels a little different. Oh, it it, it definitely felt different and weird. It, you almost didn't value it the same. Um I remember just, I was always a big gamer. I was a giant nerd. I come home, played video games. I was really good at Halo. I was like top 10 or top 20 in the world. I used to travel for some tournaments. And then there were some other games I was really good at. And then I just started putting all my attention to poker. And and it was just like another video game. And just with more and more repetition, you start learning from your mistakes, what's working, what's not. It's just like a video game in a way. And then you start getting new people that are just playing it for the first time or making their mistakes. And I just realized the more time I put in, the more money I would make. And I just, I just started doing that hundred percent. Unbelievable. Would, would you say that, I mean, it's, it's funny they say that at such a young age, but would you say, you know, you had kind of like um, a hardworking kind of mindset. You don't become one of the best in the world at any video game without working hard at it, without dedication. Uh, same also just for, you know, being, having a regular job as a busboy, even though you're playing for thousands yeah. of bucks already, does that help you? Did you feel like that gave you some sort of a, a competitive advantage at the belt? Oh, yeah. I, I think just starting off, like, um, you know, I, I took the time to learn on these, you know, there's so many different ways to learn. Mine was like these training videos online, like card runners. And, you know, a lot of those guys I was playing. So um, I would watch their videos and try to understand how they thought about hands and how they interpreted hands and how they broke it down. And, you know, things they look for strength. And I'd play some of these guys heads up 10, 25, 25, 50 when I was 18, 19 years old. And uh, I, I mean, it was, it was a huge, like, it was a huge advantage knowing how they thought about hands, certainly some of these players I played against. And I remember I got asked to do a few of these videos and I, I politely declined just for those reasons. But uh, I don't know, just like anything you do in life, the more time you put into it, you're going to be good at it. It's, it's that way with anything, whatever you do. And I was able to just put so much time into poker where it was just like, I, I had to be better than my opponent, just how much time I put into it. And, you know, it just paid off. So, you know, and you're building this bankroll, I guess, with aspirations to, you know, kind of like beat the end boss, you know, just like in any sort of video game, you said you're primarily a, an online player. You go ahead and, you know, you turn of age and then you can go north of the border and actually play in you know, live venues for the first time. What's that experience like for you? Well, I started getting my first live experience when I was 18. There was an Indian reservation that I would, you know, travel to and play. Just, it was smaller, but it was fun to play, you know, go up north and visit my friends at college. It would be at Central Michigan and, um, and then just play at the casino there. And uh, I got my live experience there. They had some decent games and um, some tournaments like the, I think it's the MSPT would go there and stuff. And, then when I was 19, Canada was close. So it was like a 45 minute drive and they had a good uh, 10, 20, no max game. And that, that was some good experience. I made some good money in that game. And by the time I was 21, I, I had a decent amount of experience live and I had a ton of experience like just online. So I felt comfortable um, right. playing live. And to, and to go sort of back to that question of the money feeling real or not, you know, when it's online, even if it's the same exact stakes that you're playing for, but all of a sudden you've got chips in front of you. Those chips are redeemable for actual money. Is there some sort of a change in mindset or were you able to just sort of, you know, keep the same focus and, and strategy you had online and, and translate that easily to the fellow? Was there an adjustment period? 
it's weird. I guess uh, just being comfortable um, always in terms of financial. And I've never looked at money as like what I can buy or how meaningful it is or how like big this spot is. So even like during the main event final table, it was just like kind of just, I looked at it more as a game and always a game and just how do I win at this game and what's the best way to approach this game. And it, the money has never really felt real to me in a way. Um, it's, I don't know, maybe that's, uh, helps me like just not be attached to it and make the right play and not be fearful of the outcome. So, but you, you know, you learn from your mistakes as well. And I just, I think it's just comfortable ability, just playing so much and having so much experience and being in those spots. I can hear a lot of folks, you know, including myself, I started playing poker when I was eight. I'm obviously not a professional, uh, but just, you know, people who love the game, there's tons of folks out there, millions, you always say millions and millions of people are playing poker, um, you know, but you obviously dove all in, you know, you dove real deep into this from a really young age. Did you ever have aspirations to do anything else, have a, you know, career, a profession of any other sort? Uh, not really. I mean, I guess when I was younger, I had, you know, I mean, it was just all minor stuff, nothing really like uh, where I had my heart into it. Poker's, again, it took off at such an early age. I was able to buy my first house in cash when I was 18 and move out and just play full time from there. And um, I mean, I was going through really big runs where where even before the main event success, I, I've always just felt like poker was my you know destiny just for how successful I was at it. That's an incredible thing. I mean, like I'm, you know, I, I've heard it enough times from poker pros, you know, those who have been, you know, seen uh, incredible success such as yourself, but still, you know, as you know, to put that string of words together, you know, I bought my first house in cash when I was 18. Not many people are, are fortunate enough to say such a thing. You can learn a lot about someone in general by the people they surround themselves with. And it's pretty unique of a spot to have when you're you know, still a teenager, quite frankly, to have that type of money, flexibility, freedom. Who did you surround yourself with at, at that time to kind of keep you level-headed? Well, I mean, I guess uh, I wasn't the most level-headed. I, I, <laughs> I had my, you know, bad spending habits. I remember okay. I was like a late bloomer in terms of, uh, you know, going out and, you know, I, I didn't go to one school dance. I didn't really like, I was I was so quiet in school. So like when I was like, when it came 18 and 19, it was like, took my friends to Cancun, like brought like three people, like, come on, my trips on me. You know, I paid for people's trips on there. I would, we'd go to the bars in Canada when I was 19 a lot. And I remember there was this card, it was like e-passport where it was like, you just go to the ATM and basically you draw it directly from your party poker account. And I'm just like, it didn't even feel like real money. It felt like just funny money. And right. uh, I was just like, you could get 600 bucks out of time. I'm like, all right, we're spending, you know, 600 bucks tonight. You know, it wasn't <laughs> nothing. It was like a half a buy-in, not even or a quarter of a buy-in. So right. I was definitely like, uh, not the best with my money, but it just felt like it was always just flowing in. It was always so easy to make it that it was no problem, you know, spending something here and there. Mm -hmm. so how did that sort of develop? I mean, we all mature, we all grow up you know, having all that money when you started out. And, you know, thankfully you lived, uh, I don't want to use the word charm, but a very fortunate life for the last many years. At what point did that maturity level come through of like, okay, I do need to become level-headed. Let's, you know, I don't know, did, did your friends change? Did people start approaching you? You know, people see you, you know, with money. Oh, okay. Hey, you know, I need something like, you, know, you start to learn some things about people. At what stage did that sort of happen for you? Because clearly now you're, you know, significantly I, I, more level-headed than that. <laughs> I would say probably like my 
early mid 20s maybe mm-hmm. like uh 24 25 is where i started realizing you know just i have to have more discipline in terms mm-hmm. of friends who i'm loaning money to who's taking advantage uh just different like maturity aspects of just you know growing up and being more of an adult i mean mm-hmm. i was always i thought pretty mature like i was never like like i never had my back against the wall ever in poker i never really like you know, been in a spot in poker where I needed money or needed to lean on someone, or I've always looked at it as the job and a career and been responsible with it. I've never played above my means or took, you know, shots I shouldn't have been taking shots at. But I just realized, I think at like 24, 25 was, was where uh, like, I need to start investing money for the future, investing more money into like this and more than this and just be more diversified and, you know, get a financial advisor and, you know, you know, really start maturing. We'll, we'll definitely dive a little bit deeper into your later career, but you know, of course, uh, the thing you're most well known for, you know, winning the main event at age 21. You know, for so many people, that's the dream just to enter the main event. Obviously, you had already at the time years of experience. You had your your bankroll built up. I'm sure you're Jones into play for the first time. Was it, you know, oh, I'm just going to play the main event and that's going to be the be all and all, or you had a full schedule and you wanted to kind of win everything under the sun. Yeah. Going up to the world series. I mean, I, I had um, like the plan of playing uh, major like everything on my own and just um, playing a lot of the events, but then I got approached by one of my good friends, uh, Tony Gargano, who I played with online uh, who, you know, we would lean on each other and talk to each other about hands and stuff. And he played bigger at 10 20 uh, online he asked me if I would be interested in being back because he was backed by sheets and backs and they had a big stable and they were interested in backing me uh, for the world series. And I thought about it. I'm just like, you know, tournaments have a lot of variance and, you know, it can get real expensive out during the summer. And do I want to, you know, spend a hundred grand on tournaments and, you know, go over the, you know, I know it's possible. So it was like, okay, I could play cash on my own out there and just, you know, get free rolled in these tournaments. And, you know, if I win a lot of money, I'm okay with getting half. And if I lose a bunch, it's not like, you know, again, it was one of those things that I always try to be responsible in terms of like never risking too much of my bankroll on a certain thing. Like I bought a house, I paid taxes. I had a few hundred thousand in the bank. Like I didn't want to risk like a hundred K of my like 500, you know, on the first series out there. So I got backed and they, it was basically a full schedule of, um, 2,500s, 1,500s. And, um, and I had a few, six, I had a few runs. I remember 1,500, like a, like a week or two before the, the main, uh, there, there was like a few thousand players. I was down in the final 20 some players. I'm like, wow. all right, this is my shot to win a bracelet. Like this is my only chance. Like these fields are so big in these home events. Mm-hmm. And I, I still remember the hand that knocked me out. It's kind yeah. of funny. It was, I was, <laughs> I was third, I was third in chips at the time. And Elky was second in chips. And this was when Elky was winning everything. Everyone knew who Elky was. And uh, it was blind versus blind hand where I had jacks, where I raised. And, uh, or he raised. Uh, I three bet from the big blind with jacks. He four bet. And I jammed. And he had ace 10 and he called it off. And the flop came all spades. And I had the jack spades and he had no spade in his hand. And it was for a chip lead pot. And it was such a huge spot for me. And the river just came the red ace. I, uh, my dreams were crushed. I was like, all right, I'm not winning braces this summer. I was like, kind of like devastated. 
but cash was going so well for me out there in that summer that it really didn't bother me too much. I was doing really well in the 10, 25 games. I was mostly grinding. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess the main event, it's just, I got lucky with the table draw and ran super hot the first day. Right. And just coasted the whole way. When you're saying you're running super hot in the cash games, uh, you know, that was going really up for you. That was on your own bankroll though. Yeah. Okay. I was playing 1025 on my own in the cash games that summer and I was playing a decent amount. Right. You mentioned the sheets and backs for those who don't know, that's uh, Johnny backs. That's Cliff Josephy and sheets is Eric Haber. Um, I'm wondering, you know, I I guess it sounds like this was the first time you had ever been backed, uh, not playing in your own bankroll. Does that change the way you play? Did that change the way you approached your tournaments at all? No, if anything, I felt maybe a little bit more disciplined just because it wasn't my money. I felt like first time playing for someone else's money that I really should play, you know, everything correctly in terms of what I think is correct. But I kind of just played my game and what I felt comfortable with. And a lot of, I mean, during that time, a lot of people played very exploitable. And I mean, live poker is still very exploitable. So it's kind of just like what works here, what doesn't, what works against this player, what doesn't. And just kind of played to the best of my ability. And, uh, you know, looking through your hand in mob, you know, that year, 2009, you had a couple caches in the, the in preliminary events, 64th place in a $2,500 event, 17th place in a $1,500. Yep, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, was that, did that help build your confidence at all saying, okay, now, you know, now I can handle it. Again, this is still, even though you'd had so much poker playing under your belt, it's still the first World Series. It's still your first time playing against so many of the folks you had seen, you know, when since Moneymaker's been on TV. Did those caches help? Uh, I don't know. I, I would say not really because um, I, I just, I felt so comfortable already. Like on full tilt, I, I had a really good, uh, I, I don't know if it was 2008 or, 2007 where i had like 500 to 600k just in profit and the tournaments i i had i had almost every major it was kind of funny story one of the tournaments i went on full tilt poker uh, it was the 750k and i was doing really well online at the time i told my two roommates i'm like whatever i take in this turn i'll split with you guys just (laughs) just to give them a sweat i'm like i'm playing high stakes cash like what's a $200 tournament, 4,200 players. I'll give these guys a sweat. And I end up winning first place and I gave them each $50,000 and they didn't really even play <laughs> poker. I'm just that's like, incredible. wow, that was, that totally backfired on me. <laughs> that's, inc- that's incredible. That's, you know, are you still friends with them today? Yeah, we're still good friends. There you go. Okay. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. We um, took a trip to Costa Rica after that. And I think played a, a poker stars event down yeah, there very when cool. we were like 19. Very cool. Well, you know, it, it's kind of a dream, you know, you talked to us about how you started during those first few years, you're doing well, you're seeing success, never had, you know, to, to dip back into your own funds or be back before, you know, life's a dream. You, you go into the World Series of Poker for the first time and you bink the main event, you know, it's just a, at 21, you know, till today, still the youngest ever winner of the main event. It's a kind of a fascinating spot to be in in life. Again, you know, so many of us, just the dream is to be able to play the main event, you know, just to have 10K and, and, and take a shot. And you've quite literally conquered poker's highest mountain right from the get-go. How do you stay motivated to keep playing? Like what else is, is there left to do when you've already done everything there is at age 21? Yeah, I, I think motivation is is a tough thing. Like I noticed like my competitive 
spirit was kind of took a backseat. Um, I remember just when I was a teenager and when I was 20, I, I just played all the time, played, put it in the hours. I was so determined to be really successful at poker and prove everyone wrong. And it was like, I didn't fear anyone at the felt, like I would sit down and, and I, I was, it wasn't like a bum hunting, like mentality. It was like, okay, you know, let's go. Like, if you want to play, let's go. I'd sit down at the heads up tables. I'd play anyone. I wouldn't dodge anyone. And it was all about getting better. And then after winning the main event, I realized like, now I'm, now I'm flying, traveling more. I'm going to these destinations. I'm not putting in the hours. And then when I am home, you know, I'm doing other things and, you know, enjoying other, other parts of life. And it was more of like, now I have more of a sense of a balance when I was like a teenager, when I was 20, it was just like, I almost played an unhealthy amount where I just, I couldn't keep putting in those that same time. And it's, it didn't feel the same after winning that kind of money too, because it's like, why am I putting in this much time for, you know, this amount of dollars? And I never really cared about money. I never wanted to like see how much I could accumulate. It was just about, you know, making a good life for myself. And now once I won the main event, you know, that already happened. And so now when I go back and play poker, I don't, I don't have that same, like, okay, I'm going to play anyone. I'm going to, you know, let's go. It's like, okay, these guys know a lot. They've been playing nonstop. I haven't been. So now it's like, I play six max. I'll probably play smaller than I did before five, 10, 10, 20, but it's just like I play because I really love the game. I enjoy the game. I'm, I'm still successful with it, but I I'm aware that, you know, there's really good players out there and I'm not, I'm not the same player I used to be in terms of the time I'm putting in. So let's say, I don't know, you didn't hit, I don't know, whatever it was, a set of deuces or you don't hit, let's say you don't win the main event. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to go back to the specific, let's say that doesn't happen. You go back to Michigan, you know, for anyone winning the main event is life-changing. You know, it's, you know lots of final tableists out there, November Niners at the time, but you know, there's only one winner each year. Let's say you don't win the main event. How does life not change? In other words, like, do you continue on doing exactly as you had done? Do you have that a little bit more hunger? You know, what, what would have been sort of the alternative path for Joe Gata uh, had you not uh, had the banner hanging in the Rio? I'd probably say, in all honesty, I'd probably be a better at poker than I am. Like, I, I still think I'm a winning poker player and I'm good at poker and just all the time I put into it. But I think I'd be a lot better. And I think I'd... Uh, I'd be really playing the high stakes still like the nosebleeds and like the bigger games and being really competitive just because I, I would have probably came home more determined and just, you know, kept grinding. But it's like, once I won that, it was now I got to be an ambassador for poker stars and I'm getting paid by poker stars. And I still played a decent amount on poker stars. I still challenged. I mean, I remember the first year or two, I was still, you know, that same person, but as time progressed, as years went on, it, I would take, you know, a month, a couple months break, then really go at it hard for a couple months, take a month break, take a couple months break and go at it. And I've just been trying to have a good balance with it now. For sure. Uh, again, this is a question I'm sure you have been asked before, but, you know, the goat is the goat. You know, when you're sitting at the final table, uh, you know, you, you had been playing in you know, a rest in peace, uh, Darwin Moon. Uh, he was uh, the runner up finisher. Phil Ivey made that final table. Um you know, at, at the peak of his powers, well, you know, one can still say, you know, he's you know, obviously still what top 10 money list in the world, still winning oh, yeah. everything right and left. Um, at the same time, you know, you had a front row seat to it. Is it a case of, was there any intimidation whatsoever? Or it's like, well, he puts on his pants the same way I do. 
I mean, it, it, it wasn't intimidation. It was more of like uh, an honor playing with them. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, someone that you so much uh, look like, well, like I respected him as a player. And I was just like, you know, I was, I was the guy that just, you watch TV. Oh, standing your ground. It's Phil Ivey. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm playing with these guys now. And, but me again, it was, I was so comfortable, like just with a game of poker for how much time I put into it and how successful I was at. I was like, okay, let's go. You know, you play your game. I play my game. This is what he's probably thinking of my game. Like, how do I combat It was, You know, it was, it was just kind of like a winning. How do I win? Like, what's the best way to approach this? I remember one hand I, I played against them where, I could tell like, or at least it felt like it, that I felt like he was just itching to like re-raise me because I was so aggressive at, this is probably like, I don't know, maybe like 50 players left or 40 players left. And this hand made it on TV. And uh, I was just playing a lot of hands and I felt like he was never in a position to like really, you know, re-raise me or play at me. I was just waiting for it to happen. And he had the right stack. I remember I opened this hand 10-7 suited and he three bets me for like a quarter of his stack. I'm just like, man, I just feel like he's just so full of shit here. Like, I just, he's been, I just feel like he just can't stand this young 21 year old, like raising so many hands. And I, I wanted a four bet jam so bad. I'm just like, this is such a bad hand to do it. And it looked like I'm just coming after him. And I'm just like, I just felt like I, I could just tell that I'm like something like I felt with like you, I would always go with my intuition at that time. Everyone played on their intuition back then. Like It wasn't like, how do I play like the best, um, you know, like a computer is just like, you want your gut a lot. Yeah. It wasn't like, how can I pay less GTO? And sure enough, you know, he had three, two offsuit when they showed the <laughs> coverage, he three bet me with the three, two offsuit. I'm just like, I freaking knew it. Like I just knew it. <laughs> of course it worked. And he knew it because I was, you know, playing again, a lot of the hands. So well, gonna, he, that's going to get through it. That's going to get through a lot. And I knew that. He, he does have that reputation for a reason. Um, here's curiosity. You know, you go ahead, you pick the score of a lifetime and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the bankroll shoots up, which is, you know, huge. Did you have some sort of a desire to, you know, play on like a high stakes poker or something like that and, you know, face off against those guys just for, you know, houses and, and for that I play, sort of thing? I, I played on uh, one of those shows. I played on, I think, two high stakes shows. One was the Poker Stars show. The, oh, the big game, right. The big game. I played, I, it could have been one of the biggest pots I ever played. It was a really tricky hand against Barry Greenstein where I made a bad fold against him. I, I still remember the hand. Uh, he like raised, it was pot limit pre-flop, no limit after flop. And he mm -hmm. opened the button with queen, queen jack. I three bet pot out of the big blind with kings, so like 5,600. He called. The flop came queen nine, seven. And we were playing really deep. And in hindsight, I kind of wish I would have checked this board um three streets may be difficult to get and I could have played you know check call mode and pot control and just pick off bluffs and played it that way but instead I, I decided to lead which put me in a bad spot because I made it like 69 or 7k into like 10 or 11 and he now raised to 23 on a queen nine seven board and I called and then the turn brought an eight running a flush draw and he bet like I think 50 or 60k leading himself like 40k and at that point it's like I'm just dead in the water if I put it in here he has two pairs set straights I mean it just seems really bad like if he's like what kind of bluffs does he have maybe like uh 
I mean, I have two kings in my hand, so even like king jack or king ten is tough to have. And I ended up folding, and he had queen jack suited, so he turned like a flush draw and had a gutter and top pair and just pushed me off kings. And could have been like a couple hundred thousand dollar hand, but I don't know. I guess I I didn't play enough hands on that show to really uh, see like a long term result. Like I think I lost a little bit in the short term, but I only played on one or two of those shows. Yeah, I, I've had conversations with dozens upon dozens of professional poker players and it's not the first time I've heard a pro break down a hand but you break it down like it literally occurred to you three hours ago what I mean like the attention to detail is just astonishing I'm I'm, I'm trying to picture like what does a you know does you know Djokovic does he remember the exact 30 stroke rally against Federer and like what he what is it that like enables that sort of recall with such attention to detail you know the stack size you know his position at the table and you know his image at the time this is what 10 years ago at least yeah I mean it's just one of those things where it's it's weird because I have a really bad memory in general but again with cards (laughs) I can remember such detail and good hands I remember playing with uh Eli uh we were playing the um the owner the old owner of Poker Stars uh we were playing we were playing a 25k event in uh bahamas and Ah. and like the next day he ran into me or something or it was one of the breaks and he's like can i ask you about a hand i'm like sure and he started talking about the hand i was like no the the hand that you played actually went like this and i remember the exact hand he played in the details he's like it's like how did you remember that hand that i played you know you weren't even involved i'm like i don't know i just i just can remember hands really well he's like you know he thought the same thing he's like that's incredible he's like i was surprised you actually remember that and I can't tell you why. I, I think maybe it's just the competitive nature of me of just obsessing about certain hands that, you know, I felt like maybe I misplayed or I could play better. Or um, I guess that's what makes you better or good at poker is just trying to really, you know, dive deep into how you can be better. Very cool. I, mean, I didn't uh, prepare this question, but since you did name drop, Amistai Scheinberg's a name, uh, you know, we're all, you know, it's obviously a very private individual. It's rare to get any information from him about him. What could you tell us about him from uh, your interactions with him and having known him as a very special person in the poker world? He was extremely soft-spoken, one of those guys that you never could tell had money. Never, you, you dress completely casual. I remember when he played the 25K event at my table, no one knew who he was besides me at the event. He was, he was gone for like probably like 70% of it. He was just walking around doing business stuff or being gone. He would come back and leave for a while. I remember a few whispers at the stage, like, who's this guy that can just leave a 25K and blind out? Like, it's crazy, you know? And uh, he was just a really nice guy. He was a family guy. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think poker was really blooming. He was doing the best to, you know, make poker grow. And it was like a family business. And that's what was like the height of poker, honestly, when, yeah. you know, he owned poker stars. And then that's once so it became cool. corporate, it's right. you know, all the changes and, Sure. You know, how can we make a nickel or dime here and there? Yeah, sure. a little bit, obviously a little bit different. That just was yeah. very cool, very fascinating uh, to have that sort of front row seat. <laughs> That's great. Sure. I love, those, love those great stories. Um, all right, back to your World Series of Poker prowess. Uh, you won bracelet number two uh, in 2014. But in those intervening years, you know, you made a couple final tables. You had a runner-up finish. You had a fourth place finish. Disappointing or like what sort of reactions do you have there of like, or are you feeling on top of your game? Did you luck box your way there? What, what, what's that uh, doing to you, those sorts of finishes? Well, 2010 was 
was a strange year because I, I didn't do anything in 2010. I got, I got killed in 2010 in the world series. That is like, I remember like what I was doing. I'm like, this ain't working. Like I'm playing too many hands. I'm getting played back at like this style is, is not working for me. And I really had to change my approach. And once I started changing my approach, I started having better results. And, but I knew how MTTs worked again. I'm no stranger to variance and how the game works and how easy it is to, you know, just break a bunch of tournaments in a row and get cold. So that was one of the reasons I got back to the first year. I just, I knew 2010 could happen. That that could happen in 2009 or whatever, or 2018. But, you know, some, some years you catch hot and get hot and things go your way. And I don't know, it's just the way tournament poker is, I guess. You feel you maybe had a, a target on your back as the defending champion, someone who's patched up, big sponsor for, you know, sponsored pro, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I think people did play against me uh, differently, whether it was, you know, they're calling me more or three betting me more or playing less hands because they're more fearful, depending on like the player. But I think people would fold less and try to win more pots against me in general. So now you're playing in a more competitive where people are trying to win like a lot more hands versus, you know, they would lay down more often. And, you know, my pokes here and there and my, you know, three bets would work a lot more often in the past versus not so much in the, you know, the following year. Right. Well, in the uh, intro, when we said, you know, who is Joe Cotta? We said you're a four-time WSFP bracelet winner. Uh, You hit bracelet number two in 2014 in the 10K six max, which a lot of folks say is one of the toughest uh, events, one of the toughest fields. You know, again, there's obviously something special about the main. We'll get to your, you know, later two bracelets uh, momentarily, but how about bracelet number two? Anything special stick out to you about having won that or that event in particular? Oh, I love that event. I mean, that was, I mean, 10K six max, six max was, I felt plates. I love six max just to get play more hands and I'm just a six max player now. <laughs> and I was always a six max heads up shorthanded player. So, and then that final table was really memorable with, you know, Jeremy Osmus and JC Tran and a few other guys. Um, I mean, it was a stacked final table. I think, um, Lindgren was at the final table too, if I'm mis- not mistaken. I don't know. There's a few other guys, um, but it was a stacked final table, and I don't know. It was fun. It, it went pretty smooth. JC, I ended up playing a crazy hand against JC, where I was, you know, I, I opened Queens and he three bet me, and I flatted his three bet out of position with Queens, and it came king high, and it was like barrel, barrel, and it's like, okay, is he gonna fire the third, you know, trigger on the river? And and I think he ended up checking at Ace Jack, and I was just like. I don't know. It was a fun final table. There was a lot of cool hands at that table, I remember. So, Is there any sort of, I don't know if it's weird, like how many people do you get to ask a question like this, but as a main event winner, winner, is there any sort of like monkey on your back of, I don't want to be a one-hit wonder, I have to win number two to prove that it's not a fluke or something? Yes and no. I mean, um, I mean, you hear the talk and you, you know, after winning the main event, it's like, I, I know I was a luck box. I mean, I'm well aware that how lucky, I mean, you have to get lucky to win these things. And the, the hands that I thought I, I played bad at the final table, like everyone talked about the hands that I thought that were fine, but that I got lucky in. So I just had a different perspective on it than other people that, uh, I mean, I knew I got lucky, but the hands I thought I played misplayed was not the same in their eyes. And uh, I just, I had a lot of success before that. So I was confident in who I was. But again, I, I took things to heart. Like, you know, I was 
that kind of kid. And that was why I was always quiet in school. Just I would, you know, take things to heart or something. And, and I tried to ignore the noise, but I knew that that people would always look at me just as a giant luck box for the winning of the main event. So I think winning the braces, I didn't feel like it helped solidify me as a player, but I felt maybe in the public it did, which is kind of stupid. <laughs> but that's just the world we live in, and that's sure. how poker works. Okay, I hear that. Oh, that's a fantastic answer. And to clarify, I'm not saying that was my opinion specifically, <laughs> but I just think it's, uh, again, like how many main event winners do you get to speak to and ask a question like that? So it's oh, yeah. uh, pretty cool. It's completely <laughs> fair. That's <laughs> a great answer. Um, all right, let's jump to 2018. Uh, you know, arguably even a more incredible summer than uh, 2009 for you. Uh, early in the series, you win bracelet number three. It's the 3K shootout. Most folks, you know, it's always say, you know, like when you have, um, you know, two runouts, you know, it's always good to win the first one, right? So you start off your summer with the bracelet win. Most folks are just like, nice, I'm coasting, you know, <laughs> kind of free rolling. How, again, how do you kind of sort of stay motivated to, to keep performing and, and going deep after you've already, you know, banked your bracelet, you know, for the summer? Well, I feel like the WSB, it's almost like summer camp for me. It's like, my time just to really dive into poker and play a bunch of poker and just it's fun because I have a lot of friends out there playing too and you know we're all talking on breaks and hanging out and I don't know it's just really fun for me out there so waking up it's it's something I always enjoy to do like when I play poker it's I'm simply playing it because I really enjoy it like I'm never never going to these stops being like oh it's it's this is just a great stop I need to go play this for money or whatever it's I'm playing it because I really want to play poker and for the WSP, like even after winning the bracelet, it even makes me more excited to play the next day. So I, in 2018, I even got lucky to start that series off. There was like a 10K Super Turbo at the very beginning that I took like ninth in. So it was like, I, I final tabled that. And then like a few days later, won the shootout. And now I'm like, hey, if I, if I string a bunch of things together, who knows how player of the year may go. And, and then I just started, you know, everything started clicking and just I ran well that year. Yeah, well, it was uh, certainly uh, some incredible performances there. Uh, you know, I was actually working on the poker productions team during the main event. You know, we're always on the lookout for, you know, some known names and known faces. And you, know, you see Joe Kata come up. Kata or Kata, by the way, I'm sorry. Uh, I Kata, but Kata. I mean, either either way, I, I hear Kata, Kata, Kata well, all the it, time. If you can get Straczynski right, I should get uh, Kata right. So, okay, cool. Like so, my wife, Polish, I'm guessing? Uh, yes, originally. My dad's from Poland. Yes. Well, well yeah. done. My wife uh, was Shaholski. Now oh, okay, Kata. great. Maybe there's a relation there. So, okay. She would test me. She's like, how do you spell my last name? Uh, <laughs> 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 I always say with an S when people don't know. So, uh, so, Joe, so you see Joe Kata pop up there. I was like, what? Like, there's a main event winner still alive on day four, on day five, on day seven. Like, that doesn't usually happen. You know, you hear about uh, Dan Harrington, you know, who did it two years in a row. Mark Newhouse make two, makes two final tables. I mean, to go ahead and make a deep final table run, again, like you said, unprecedented, but, you know, it's exceptionally rare. What is the same to you and what is different to you as far as your experience running through day after day? you know, on your way towards that final table versus 2009? To be honest, they, it couldn't have been two uh, different kind of runs for the mm. world's, for the main event. Like in 2009, I started off chip leader of my day, day one C. Uh, the next day, I didn't even, I think I started, I started the day with like a hundred and like 
89,000 and I ended it with like 191. So I literally made like 2000 chips in day two. Right. But after that, every day, it was like a steady climb. I always had like double the average. I was never all in at risk till the final table of the main event. And it was just like, I just felt like I was playing a cash game for eight days. I was playing super deep and I was just running pretty well. But then 2018, and I ended, you start with 50K. I ended with, I think like 13 or 15 and got down to 8K at one point on day two. And I was playing short for most of the whole tournament. And it was like, you get 20 big blinds, just find a good place to jam, get things through, win some big all-ins and coast for a while and play a few big spots. But I was always short stacked that whole tournament. And I remember every day I was like, man, I can't believe I made it through this day. I can't believe I made it through this day. And uh, see, I just, I ran really good in 2018. And, you know, you, you had alluded to before, you know, the level of play, the way people played, the exploits and live poker, that sort of thing back in 2009, certainly was not the same uh, in 2018. And we all know poker, you know, players are constantly improving. The rate of improvement is increasing. Uh, and yet you go ahead, you navigate the minefield once again. What is your opinion of the level of play of the players who made the final table versus uh, nine years prior? Uh, this is again, uh, John, John Sin won, Tony Miles yeah. second. I mean, I think, I think the level of play in the main event is not, it's kind of, I, I would say I had a different uh, interpretation of what the main event was going to be like before I started playing it. I remember before I was 21, I thought the main event was going to be very difficult. It was a 10K, you know, the main event. So I thought all the best players were going to be there. And when I started playing, I was just like, a lot of these people are, you know, bucket listers, people that, you know, you know, they satellited in or they played some league with their friends or this is what they want to do once in their life. And, or, you know, you just hear so many different stories and different um, backgrounds of where people came from. It was, it was more interesting and cool. And I felt like it was more laid back than I thought it was going to be. And it just seemed a lot easier than what I interpreted. And even in 2018, there was like a lot of spots where, you know, people were making huge mistakes and just, you know, situation. I remember one double up I had where it was like this guy, he was, he was super loose, was not afraid to put money in. And he opened like under the gun for like 4.5 X. And generally, like I had ace king suited and for like 43 big blinds. And normally I would just like re-raise there. But I'm just like, this guy ain't folding. Like he's just gonna call me. Like he has no worries in the world. He has all the chips. Like yeah. I've seen him do this a million times. I just shoved the 44 bigs in there or the 42 bigs <laughs> and snap call with the ace jack off, you know, yeah. from under the gun. So and you get that double up, and next you know you have 90 big blinds. It's like you have so many chips, but it's just you know, navigating your way through the field. Some people they have to be you know, more aware of than others and just take advantage of some of the inexperienced players and pick your spots, really. Two days after you get eliminated in fifth place, you know, $2.15 million. I saw the result. I'm like, no. Nah. Oh, the closer. Uh, how, how is that possible? And you go and you win the closer last event of the year uh, for your fourth bracelet. So, you know, we've, are, we've already touched upon your motivation. You know, you clearly love the game. And, you know, the main event is what it is. Whatever your perspective may be, it's still, you know, 12 hours a day, day after day. It's a grind. You're, at the time, 31 years old, you know, something like that. So you've got plenty of energy. But still, you must be exhausted. So 
The question I have though is what is the bigger achievement to you? Having made the final table of the main event or having won the closer just a few days after you get eliminated from it? Uh, I, I don't, I'd probably say the main event just because there's more play and it was, again, it was like eight or nine days of just playing. But the closer was, I remember I woke up that morning and uh, my girl or my wife or girlfriend at the time, she was, they were going to the pool and I had two friends that were going to play the tournament. I was like, do I turn right to go to the pool? Do I turn left to go play with my friends? <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I'm, it's a turbo. It's the last turn of the summer. You know, I can come, I can, we can go to the pool later or whatever. I'm like, I'm just going to hop in this real quick and try to spin it up. I remember the first hand I sit down, first hand I remember, sit down. Uh, I'm in the big blind. This girl opens the button. I three bet ace king out of the big blind. Fox comes. Uh, a six two one diamond i bet the flop she calls turn king um i bet the turn she jams for like a pretty hefty jam i call she has queen 10 suited so she she floated the flop with a back door and a back door straight turn the the gin card for the the king with a gut shot and a flush draw now and just the river the flush and she knocked me out i'm just like all right, I'm going to go to the pool. And I started making my way to the pool. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give it one more shot. Like, this is a good tournament. It's a turbo. And literally firsthand, um, I sit down again. I get jacks. And <laughs> and I raise and get, like, five callers. I'm like, wow, this is going to be a tough one to win with jacks six ways. Flockham's jack 10-7. And, okay. uh, and I, I bet out. Um, and this guy just jams for, like, 90 or 100 bigs. I'm like, really? Does he really have the the eight, nine or the 10, seven. And I call, he just has a seven offsuit for bottom pair. I'm like, what is happening? And I double up. And then sure enough, a few hands later, someone else plays a really crazy hand against me. One of my friends who I know it was, it was kind of an absurd hand and basically put in like five bets and called it off with ace jack pre-flop off against me. And I held, and then I had a ton of chips and just, I don't know, just ran, ran hot on that thing. And next thing you know, I wanted it in two days so it was it was unreal Incredible. everyone was playing crazy in that tournament i felt like everyone just wanted to leave it, it wasn't even a real tournament it felt like the hands i saw in that tournament were were, were just crazy right right like uh, i think I mean, you had an interview with our, our mutual friend bernard lee uh, where you talked about like a kind of a unique strategy that you have for these uh the post limbs the ones after the main event uh, people are in a little bit of a different mood a different place oh, uh, yeah. you know, in late in mid-july than in beginning of june Oh yeah. Once people bust the main, they're stuck for the summer. It's the last tournament. People are literally just, people are such in bad moods. Like, I mean, majority of the tournament players are losing. I mean, I know what the feeling is to have a losing summer and just being out there the whole summer and the grind of it. So, but people are playing really fast and there's no point of just getting crazy pre-flop or playing these elaborate bluffs. You just kind of just, you know, let people punt really and be there to catch it and hopefully your hands hold. Right. Uh, well, we talked uh, extensively of your World Series of Poker uh, success, of your prowess over the last number of years. Again, and we said, uh, you know, one of the winningest players in the history of WSOP. Um, it seems, again, just from, you know, looking at the hand in mob, unless uh, you're just, you know, bricking and busting, it seems like you don't attend that many other tournaments and, and festivals anymore. What's day-to-day uh, -day life uh, like for you? And, and when you do go uh, and decide to attend uh, another tournament series outside of your home in Michigan, what is it that makes you say, you know, let's hop on a plane and, and go there? Uh, a lot of it, 
I don't think I'll ever travel to a tournament by myself, to be honest. So a lot of it's like if my friends convince me to go, like I have a lot of friends that push me to, because they know I'm lazy in terms of traveling and playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's certain friends I'll go with these stops, like some Florida stops are, are fun to go to. And um, I don't really travel anything international. I like mm-hmm. the I like the Bahamas every year. I would go yep. play that. Um, but other than that, I don't, I don't play a lot. I, I've never played a WSOP Europe before. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess WSOP was like the main tournament series I would travel to and I would always get excited for and probably because of TV and just how there's just a huge schedule and just, you can really be out there and play for two months. Like I hate traveling for somewhere and, and busting the main event and just being uh, like disappointed really. And just, I don't know. I guess there's there's always closer to win. Yeah. Yeah. There's side (laughs) events and stuff like that. But again, like from a, it's almost like where do I make more money from too online or traveling and playing these, mm. you know, these tournament circuits and, and especially being in a, a serious relationship, it's how much time can I really be away from home mm-hmm. and do I want to be away from home for that time? And I don't know, there's just always places to play. So I never really, I was never chasing titles or bracelets or trophies, even during the world series, like I won't play things that I don't enjoy playing. Like I won't play the mixed games or limit games, even the small games. Just like if I don't enjoy it, I'm not going to play it. And if I don't think I'm good at it, I'm probably not going to play it. So that's kind of where where my mindset's always been with poker. And and what is day to day life like? I mean, you do have you know you're fortunate to have the luxury to choose how to spend your time however you want. Uh, and then again, you know, no matter how much money we have, time's something that uh, we all have a limited supply of. So how do you decide? Uh, how to spend it and, and how to prioritize, uh, you know, the things you do each day. Yeah, I guess the beginning of my day, it, it all depends. I mean, I'm all over the map, but I try mm-hmm. to, I've been trying to get in better shape lately. Um, yeah, that's something I've been focusing on this, this last year is getting in shape um, for health reasons and just other reasons in general. So I've been going to the gym every day and just waking up, you know, maybe play a little here online, maybe study a little bit, watch, you know, a documentary or something. I used to, my dog passed away uh, not too long ago, but you know, take him for a walk or hang, um, hang out with friends. My wife would always get home from work around five o'clock and then spend the rest of the day with a, my wife. So I try to get as much poker I can in during the day and, and then just hang out with the wife later. Cool. Still playing any Halo at all? Uh, I, I, I do have <laughs> Halo. I did hook up Halo not too long ago. And uh, I'm definitely not anywhere near the level I used to be. <laughs> Halo's, I, I play other games now. There is a game I play that I'm addicted to that takes up too much of my time that I'd like it to in Dota. But okay. I, I try to I try to cut back on that. I mean, I'm st- I still play too many video games for my liking. It's good that you always have uh things to that you enjoy that you can uh spend your time doing. Uh just one more a question about the World Series of Poke before we get into your ambassadorship. Um, you know. You know, we said you got your banner hanging at the Rio. You won your bracelets uh, all at the Rio. Um, it's not at the Rio anymore. It's moving to the Strip. Uh, it's going to be at uh, you know the Bally's Horseshoe and uh, Paris. What's your take? You're looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I know you missed the last couple of, of, of series, and now you've got one coming. What just a couple months away? Uh, you know, ready? What, what, what's, yeah. what's, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I've been playing a lot online. I've been having a lot of success, and uh, I'm excited to play. The series coming up i mean i don't know what it's going to be like so i guess uh it's gonna be a whole new experience and i don't know it's it should be fun it should be interesting and it's something new to look forward to i guess what, I, what i'm curious that, do you have 
Uh, I'll probably play all the No Limit and PLO events from 25K and below. Okay. Um, I, cool. I play more PLO than anything, and I feel more comfortable in PLO today than the No Limit, to be honest. Why the shift? I know it's important to shift gears in poker, but uh, you know, No Limit's where you've seen uh, all the success. I don't know. I guess it was uh, when I was playing a lot on uh, Poker Stars in like two from like 2013 to like or 2012 to like 2016 or 17. I was playing a lot of PLO Zoom and No Limit Zoom and and PLO. I was just really having a lot. I don't know. I, I just had a lot better results and I was winning a lot more money. And I started playing more and more PLO and last tables to hold them and kind of kind of always been that way for a little while now. I mean, I still play Hold'em, but I just, I'm a better PLO player than a Hold'em player, I think. Um, well, you mentioned, uh, you know, had worn in the past, you've worn the patch for Poker Stars. You know what it's like to be an ambassador. Uh, when I saw the news that you were named, uh, you know, brand ambassador for WSOP.com Michigan, that was a head turner, you know, to the best of my knowledge, you know, it's, I, I can't say I've done all the research and turned under every nook and cranny, every stone, but I don't believe WSOP.com has ever had a brand ambassador. Uh, they come knocking on your door. What does that feel like for you? Honestly, it was a, it was a real big surprise to me. I, I remember getting the phone call from um, Ty Stewart and we were talking for a while and just talking about everything. And he offered me the deal and I was just like, I mean, I was honestly, I was talking away from it because again, like you said, they never sponsored or had an ambassador or anything like that. And I didn't even think that opportunity was on the table. And, and with PokerStar sponsorships in general, they're very, you know, limited and I'm not the huge social media guy. I mean, I really realized that's really important to all these sites is, you know, your presence in social media or anything in general in life is how much fans and how much audience can you reach? And I'm not the, the most public guy and I'm not the most guy like guy on social media. So it came to a surprise. And um, I really appreciated that um, they looked at my success at the WSOP and realized and and just what I brought to Michigan and what I can help with and, you know, the people I can reach. And I don't know it was an honor and I, I want to do my best part to, you know, help, you know, grow WSOP and, you know, do my part in the you know, the deal, to be honest. That's pretty cool. What, what does it mean to you to, to represent that brand? I mean, I love WSB. I mean, I always said to a lot of people, I'm like, you ever wonder what poker would be like if they didn't have World Series of Poker on ESPN? Mm. Like, how big would poker be? Like, how how big would it be if they didn't have the money maker and the main event every year? It's like, I don't know. And I always just watched that growing up and being like, okay, I want to do that. And I was successful online. I was always excited to play their tournaments. And They've always done a good job at hosting the World Series, and they've always been about poker. Like, if you look at these other sites, even like Poker Stars, you go on there, it's like they're advertising casino play, sports. Like, WSV is focused on poker. It's the game that, you know, I love and enjoy, and and I feel honored to be sponsored by them. And so far, their site's been awesome. I, I had a great experience on it. I've talked to other people. They've been doing so much for the players. I mean, I know at the beginning, they purposely had overlays to – bring people and bring money. They just had a hundred K um, player appreciation tournament, a hundred thousand dollars for all the people that deposited yesterday. And uh, I saw a bunch of friends and family members in that tournament and just fun playing with a lot of familiar faces in WSOP Michigan. It's been a lot of fun since they opened. Pretty cool. And, you know, we all know that there've been, uh, you know, some recent developments as far as, uh, 
you know, the interstate playing pool. Michigan, mm-hmm. Michigan, I believe, will be joining up with New Jersey, Pennsylvania, I think, I hope, uh, Delaware, uh, Nevada, I don't know exactly which states are part of it, but I uh, don't know. I mean, it's always a good thing to have uh, increased liquidity. Uh, you know, what does it mean to you? Like, the, does that does the ambassadorship expand beyond the Michigan borders, sort of? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how it's going to work in the future. Uh, but right now, I'm just trying to play with all my all the Michigan people as fast as I can. Like, uh, the games have been good, but once once it opens the interstate, there's going to be a lot more games running. Like, right now, there's, you know, there's like two to three, like two, five tables. And, you know, you'll get your occasional five, ten table and for hold them and no limit. So I'm kind of spread across the board for no limit and hold them and, and playing the tournaments. The tournaments, it's kind of refreshing because I've won like probably like four tournaments since they've opened, but it's all like tournaments that are very feasible to win, like hundred player fields, 200 player fields. It's not like you're playing like 5,000 players and, you know, win one every like couple months. So it's been fun playing like these tournaments. And uh, once they join interstate, I know there's going to be a lot more game selection. The tournaments are going to be bigger, bigger player pool. And uh, so that'd be more exciting just for how many different tables and just how big the fields are going to be. Happy days are here again. I got one more question for you, and then we'll move on to the uh, community questions from our wonderful Cards Chat Forum community members. Uh, but before I ask that question, you, know, you did mention, I remember it's CATA uh, 99, and I remember, you know, when I was part of the bio team, you know, okay, what can we look, what information? And yeah, you know, there wasn't much, you know, not, not so often on social, but, you know, because you mentioned that, because everything you said, I do specifically want to thank you. And I don't know that there are that many uh, besides, you know, during your performance uh, at the World Series of Poker too many Joe Cotta uh, interviews out there. And I, and I know you, you know, kind of keep it close to the vest, but, you know, whatever the, the motivation uh, may be as far as ambassadorship, you know, again, you know, obviously someone uh, of your reputation uh, who has done so much, obviously doing a great job representing the brand, but I definitely want to thank you very much uh, for this hour uh, of your time uh, that you've given us. It's really cool uh, beyond just watching you on TV and, you know, sort of reading the stat sheets and stuff to get to know you a little bit better. So uh, I'm definitely enjoying uh, this conversation, Joe. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, thank you. I mean, I appreciate you having, like, being able to, you know, for people to get to know me a little bit better away from the felt and know, you know, a little bit more about me. I know I'm quiet, but I like doing this stuff. I like talking. I'd much rather do this than, you know, I don't know, try to post on social social media every day. I, don't know. <laughs> well, I, I well, like doing this stuff. I just did a podcast not too long ago on Jeff Gross, but awesome. I appreciate you having me on here and wanting to talk to me. Awesome. It's, it's our pleasure. Uh, and, you know, the last question I've got again before moving to the community questions, you know, we've talked about this. I mean, it's funny. The, everything that we've talked about, I could just as easily be interviewing someone who's 50, 60, 70 years old and had that same amount of success. You've done it in 13 years, you know, obviously a little bit, you know, time prior to it. It's pretty darn incredible. You're just 34 years old. I say it as a 40 year old, you know, this 21 year old kid, that sort of thing. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You've accomplished so much. What sort of goals, if any, do you still have as far as poker for the rest of your career? I don't know. I guess I don't have any goals in poker, to be honest. Every time it's every time I go back to the felt, because I always take breaks, I always go back. It's like, can I still cut it? Like, can I, can I still like, do I still got what it takes? And like, I mean, I still do a lot of studying and a lot of like just watching, you know, better players and, you know, really sharp players. And I really take the time to still learn because I enjoy it. But every time it's like, uh, 
it's weird. It's like, you think you would have the confidence after like so many winning years and so many sessions, but every time it's like, I have to build that confidence back up. And, but once I really start putting in the hours, like every time I'm like, okay, I still got it. I'm still like doing really well at this. You know, I'm still going to be continuing to do this. Like just playing, like really diving in deep, like uh, the cash games, like playing ton, like ton of hours, ton of hands and just seeing the results. You, you feel that confidence again. It's just fun playing. I don't know. I guess I don't really have any long-term goal with poker. I don't know when it's going to come to an end, but I think I'll always be playing. Well, that's a great answer. And I, I kind of feel obligated to follow up though, as far as like, you know, you mentioned uh, back then 2009, I think it was card runners. I think you, you mentioned, you know, what does study look like these days for you? You know, you say you're diving deep in the lab, putting in that time. Uh, what, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, there's, there's few solvers out there that, um, that I use and, you know, when their hands, I really don't know about or like things that I'm like, you know, I don't know what is the right play. I'll look at solvers. Again, like solvers can be really tricky in a way because again, that's playing against perfect GTO and perfect computer. And again, like the players you're playing against aren't playing perfect. So, and then it's, everything's going to be, you know, you know, weighted to a certain percentage, you know, 75% of the time you do this, 25% of the time you do that. So, you know, a solver can be a little tricky of being uh, creating your own balance and what people would think of you. There's so many levels to poker. It's, it's, you can just go on about it, but uh I, I really do work with solvers and then I work with uh, just watching the bigger games and watching uh, better players. I do watch, you know, still training videos here and there. And, and I don't know, just trying to stay sharp and trying to make sure that, you know, I can learn the best I can and what's the best way to learn. Okay. Uh, it's just curiosity. Like how much do you have uh, another time commitment or do you have a little bit of extra time? I got extra time. Okay, so in that case, we're going to try this section. We've never done this before in our Cards Chat podcast. Um, we prepared, uh, you know, help. Shout out to my my buddy Mike who helps me prep these questions. Um, you know, with the wonderful research, we want to try and do like a a quick, you know, like a lightning round. Uh, just we got eight questions. Just first thing that comes to your mind uh, when you hear these. We got about eight of these before we get into the community questions. Just curious. We'll call it a chat around. Uh, Joe, who is the best no limit hold'em tournament player in the world? Chidwick. Steven we gotta go quick, right? Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. I'll go quick. Chidwick. Where do you rank yourself on that list? Uh, hundred. Top one hundred. Top one hundred. Cool. What is your favorite poker movie not named Rounders? Oh, um, <laughs> Rounders. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like you put me on side. I, I don't know any other movies. Rounders, we'll, accept we'll accept that. It's that that's good. all I know. It's that good. We'll accept that one. What is your favorite place to play poker that's not the WSOP? I think you may have answered that. My uh, Bahamas. Yeah, that's. I, I figured you said. Okay, cool. Um, oh, this is something we, of course, always ask on card chat. Who is the friendliest player you've ever played with at the felt? Uh, either is mine. It's Phil Hummuth or Phil Locke. That's an interesting. Wow, I don't think I've ever heard that one. What you know? What what made those two names jump out at you? Well, Phil Hummuth one like he goes out of his way to like, uh, like I'll be like a few tables over and he'll walk over, say hello, how you doing, conversate, how's everything going with you in life. He really like, I don't know. It's. The first time I talked to Phil Helmuth, like the first time my interaction with Phil Helmuth, he hated me because I was this young kid that like 
I bad his showman. I'm his luck sack. Like I'm everything he hated in poker. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like he had a completely like 360 and he's just so nice to me all the time. It's, it's weird. Like he goes out of his way to be nice to me. And I don't know, Phil Locke was always, I mean, there's so many nice guys in poker, right. but right. those are the first two that come to mind. Excellent. That's really cool. Great to hear that. And, uh, you know, for those who didn't know, uh, Phil Helmuth was episode number four uh, here on the Cards Chat podcast. Feel free after this one to go and listen to that one. Just a couple more. Uh, toughest opponent you've ever faced? Phil I Good answer. Can't, can't go wrong with that one. Um, you and your fellow WSOP main event winner, Ryan Reese, are one and two on the Michigan all-time tournament money list. Can you name number three? Uh, Dan Hein Miller. Wow, he knows his stats. Well done. Dan's got 6.37 million. I, I think the only reason I knew that, because I think Jeff Gross was talking about how he just got like switched to Michigan <laughs> or something. Now he's passed him or something. And he was a little bitter about that or something like that. <laughs> Very nice. And Jeff was actually uh, episode number one, actually, of the Cards Jab podcast. Awesome. Uh, and last one for you. How many more bracelets will you win before your career is over, Joe? Uh, I'll win five more. Okay. Very nice for, for a, a solid nine. That's a nine more than I will probably win, but maybe eight more. Maybe I'll get mine someday. You got uh, one, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, folks, in this segment of the show, we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. And again, we do have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Joe, our first questions from the community come from Crystal's um, Crystals wants to know what was one bad thing that you went through after winning the 2009 main event and, and how did you deal with it? Uh, it was, I think it was, uh, certain friends taking advantage and people mm -hmm. stealing from me and just, uh, realizing I had to have a tighter group of friends and, um, not realizing everyone who is, who you think they are, like, just, there was a lot of people that like stole that I was really surprised like that you wouldn't think is in their like character but just like judging people's character better and you know not really exposing yourself as much uh eye-opening response there okay interesting uh and second one from crystals where is the one place you would love to visit to play poker that you haven't yet done so Australia Australia for the Aussie millions or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess right now Australia is kind of weird with the whole, like, everything, COVID and everything. But <laughs> before that, I remember always, like, after the Bahamas, I always wanted to go to Australia, but it was always, like, I never had two trips in me back-to-back. -back. And it's <laughs> like, one of these years, I'm going to do Australia instead of Bahamas. And I don't know, I always wanted to go play the Aussie millions and just visit Australia. There you go. I remember once upon a time there was a, a World Series of Poker APAC, something like that. And I think Negrani won a bracelet down under. Uh, so maybe they'll bring that back. You never know. I played, um, a, WP, I played a WPT in South Africa before. Oh, nice. In uh, in Johannesburg. Right. I remember yeah. that. In this. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. Um, cool. Chica Bonita, our next question asker, uh, has one for you. Um, Joe, poker, what was this? Oh, yeah. Poker players who win the main event typically say that they invest a lot of their winnings. Are you able to tell us in general what sort of investments you prefer? Are there any particular types of projects you like to support? Well, I'm 
I, I have a financial advisor who like he works for uh, Merrill Lynch and they have like a team of people. So I am invested in so many different stocks and, and different um, strategies where I'm just spread across the board. And then also I'm investing in crypto. So really I I'm all across the board in terms of investments, but for the most part, it's, it's on the little aggressive, aggressive, safer side, but yeah, I'm, I'm spread across the board. That's great. And I think, you know, since you've mentioned before as well about, uh, you know, surrounding yourself with you know, the right people, I think it's safe to say, you know, when you do uh, have some sort of a big windfall, uh, a financial advisor or a team of that nature is a good investment. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. 2018, I'm just like, here you go. Here's the money for 2018, you know, and just invest that, you know. Nice. Well, that's cool. That's very disciplined. I like it. Um, and one more from Chica Bonita. Um Chico Benito writes, I read once that I read that you once wanted to open a bar. Do you have any idea what style of bar it would be and in what city? I did open a bar and I it was oh. a charity, it was a bar slash charity poker room. And huh. I loved it. I mean, I mean, I did love it. It was a lot of stress to be honest, but we were forced to close our doors oh. um, because they changed the I mean, we could have kept their doors open and try to operate as a bar, but they changed the rules around for charity uh, poker in Michigan. It used to be each charity could sell up to $15,000 worth of chips. Uh-huh. So in a night, we'd have eight to 12 charities and sell a bunch of chips and have a bunch of, you know, two, five, one, two games, a bunch of blackjack tables. But they, the casinos were getting hurt by that and they lobbied against uh-huh. charity poker in Michigan. So okay. they changed the world where you could only have one max charity. So I went from being able to sell, you know, $150,000 worth of chips to being able to sell 15K and right. you have a 10,000 square foot building. And it was just yeah. like, okay, we can't operate as a, a bar poker room anymore. So we, I kind of just uh, closed the doors there. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. So it wasn't the bar aspect. It was more of like running your own poker room kind of thing. Yeah, the bar, there was a few bars there before that. It was a really nice place. Uh, they invested a lot. It was like uh, a Roosevelt. They invested like a million dollars in the place. And I got it for like 150K, put like a hundred into it. And uh, and it was just too big of a bar to and too much overhead to make it as a bar for where it was at. It's just right. too nice and too much overhead. So the poker aspect and how big the place was, it filled up the room perfect. It was super nice. And had a lot of black shed tables and was doing well. But once the the charitable gaming license, you yeah. know, once that went away, it was kind of like we had no option. Cool. Well, I love these questions from you guys in the community. Kudos, Chica Bonita. You never know what sort of nuggets you'll on earth. That was a good one. Uh, and last question asker, uh, you know, our good friend Acid Burn FX, uh, our creative question asker. Uh, here you go, Joe. Hope you're ready for these. If you could call yourself when you were 15 years old for a 20 minute conversation, what would you tell yourself? Uh, <laughs> right, aren't these great? I love these I don't, questions. <laughs> I don't know, keep doing what you're doing and uh, you know, be careful who you trust and uh, you know, just always do what you love to do. Nice, that's interesting. So you would have stayed the course, not changed yes. anything necessarily. Exactly. Cool. I like it. All right. Um, your superpower, says Acid Burn FX, is that you can give phobias to people. What things would you make people afraid of and why? I'd make uh, people afraid of 
going all in. So, <laughs> so I could just constantly shove it on them and they have that scare, that phobia of getting sucked out on and then they just fold their hand all the time. I love that your answer wasn't just detailed, it was instant. <laughs> that was brilliant, well done. And our final question, we will wrap this up with this one. Uh, thank you again, Acid Burn FX. Uh, Joe, if your life was made into a movie, which actor would play you and why? Uh, Ben Affleck, because he's been around the felt and he's been a poker player and he's a great actor. And why not? Okay, that's fair. I love it. Great. Uh, guys, thank you everyone who sent in questions for Joe Cotter. And again, a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community, we would love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you liked the show. Joe, again, this has been a real pleasure speaking with you. Uh, anything else you'd like to tell our audience before we let you go? Can't think of anything. Okay, good. Well, I hope you had a good time. Uh, thank you again so much. I did. Uh, and thank, thank you. you. Oh, awesome. Uh, and uh, thank you all for tuning again, uh, tuning in once again to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.